Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Vikingology Podcast. Today is another twofer with just me and Terry. And uh, we're going to talk about Terry's trip to Denmark, where she visited all things related to the Vikings. And according to Terry, and Terry, you'll have to speak on this, uh, Denmark is full of Viking stuff. Surprise. It is full, and I would even say uh, I know for certain I didn't see all of it. There was, you know, potentially a little bit of overload going on at some point um, because somebody actually messaged me and it's like, oh, did you go to this little museum? And I'm like, I walked by it. I didn't go into it because there's only so many ways that axe heads and glass beads and iron rivets can be reinterpreted. And I had seen enough of it by that point in time. So um, yeah, there's a lot of Viking stuff there. So it's kind of like when you're walking around or not walking around, driving around in the US and you see the signs for like the little museums or actually better analogy, when you're going through France, <laughs> driving through France and every exit, there's a sign for a ca- another medieval castle because France has the highest density of medieval castles. Right. And that's the, that's the history they like to tout. So everything, <laughs> it's just a little castle, you know, this castle and that castle and that castle and nobody stops because there's so many right (laughs) it's just not a big deal anymore (laughs) yeah i can imagine that for sure for the french people and then but for tourists even too i could say you know it's like the first five you're like yes and then you get into the zone of like the next five it's like "Eh, i don't know how long will it take and then the everything after that it's like nah i don't need to stop and see that yeah i had a friend from uh from england and he used to say once you see one of those castles you've seen them all (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh, well you know i mean for americans though that's not really the thing is it because you know we don't live in that world and so for us you know at least the first half a dozen or so are going to be interesting but yeah and they are different they do have different things well so for the viking stuff in denmark let's start from the top what was the coolest most eye-opening thing where you learned the most like what was the thing that you came across and you said to yourself wow whole trip was worth it or was there a moment like that um yeah I, I well I mean some of them are pretty close you know in contention I would say probably on balance the Ladby ship um and this is a place so you know people can google a map of Denmark and you know realize that there's a part of it the geography that's called Jutland which you know basically juts out from the European continent has a border with Germany but then the rest of it is like an archipelago right so it's little islands some big some small and this is on the island that's in kind of the middle called Finn um spelled f-y-n also you can see it sometimes i think it's anglicized f-u-n-e-n anyway and on the uh east coast essentially or pretty close to it there's a, a place there that um has this this ship that was i think it dated to the early 10th century and um it is well they've recreated it a couple of different ways uh, one of them is a full-size recreation where it's actually docked and sitting in the water just right near where it's the original ship is buried um the other one uh is in a small museum that they have there so it is also a full-size recreation but they um they recreated it as a burial. And this is the first time that I'd ever, you know, sort of been confronted with like, okay, whoa, okay, that might, that's probably how that, that this would have looked because, 
you walk into this room and this is a giant ship and then laid out on one end on the bed is, you know, a, a guy. Uh, so, so the kind of smaller time, quote unquote, king who was buried there. Uh, is laid out there and, you know, has things that we've seen in uh, other burials as far as uh, everyday household items included around him, uh, even a, a board game and gaming pieces and some weapons and, and all of that. Um, but then, you know, that takes up only just a small part of one end of the ship and almost all of the rest of the ship is carcasses of horses, like full-sized horses that have been slaughtered and just you know you can tell just kind of like just thrown into this ship so the bodies are all just you know sort of twisted and mangled and piled on top of each other there's also I think it was like three or four dogs the same thing happened and um so I mean visually again it was just kind of like whoa uh, you know and I mentioned in our podcast with Ben Raffield, you know, the idea that it gets very abstract sometimes, right, for historians when all you're ever doing is just sort of reading these things in text. And it's kind of like, oh, and they slaughtered, you know, 11 horses and put them in the ship. And you're like, okay, whatever. But you don't, yeah, you know, like, whatever. But you don't really have any sense of visually how that would look. And, you know, then kind of putting yourself in that place of like, oh, what's all the chaos that's going on while these animals are being killed and thrown into this ship and everything. And this kind of really brought that home for me you know what what that would have felt like but I mean the big marquee thing there is the actual ship and the actual burial and so the burial mound still exists and they have preserved it um you walk in there's only one way in and out uh on on this one end of it and as you walk in you know you're immediately like okay I, I'm I've just moved into the realm of the dead, you know, because you are in an earthen mound and the, the temperature drops, you know, probably 20 degrees Fahrenheit precipitously. And you, know, you feel the damp of the earth. You have to wait for a second or so while your eyes adjust to like almost no light. Uh, and then in there is this this ship. And it's roughly I think it was about 27 meters or something. So getting close to 90 to 100 feet long and. Um, and, and, and what it was is the, the space where the ship was uh, originally interred. Uh, and of course, because wood is a natural fiber, right? So it tends to rot unless it's got pretty specific conditions to preserve it. So the wood has mostly deteriorated, but what is left is the impression that the ship, you know, made in, in the earth. And then all of the iron parts uh, that were attached to the ship. So even down to like these cute little curly cue things uh, that were, you know, part of the decoration on the prow that were metal and then, um, you know, the rivets and then the little rings that were all along the edges uh, of the ship where like the oars would uh, maybe go through or they would attach other things. Uh, and then also what had survived really well is um, a chain and the anchor uh, and the chain I think it was about 11 meters long and the anchor is about four feet long um and it's 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 really well intact and so it's laying in the ship there and you can see it but the other interesting part really is again kind of going back to these animals um i should say the body of the the person who was buried there you know was removed a long time ago like even back in the viking age and you know they think that it was something similar to what has happened in other graves from the viking age that we know that they were looted or the bodies were removed and you know desecrated or taken somewhere else or whatever 
may have been part of political conflict, but the bodies, the skeletons of the horses and the dogs are still in there. And it's, you know, embedded into the point of where it's like, you know, starting to maybe become fossilized a little bit or something, but you can see it. Uh, and so it's just this whole thing that's laid out there. And the only time, I mean, I've, I've been to, you know, some people know I spent a lot of time in Iceland and we've been to Norway. And now with, with Denmark, it's the only time I've ever seen this kind of a Viking age, um, you know, artifact and, and place where you get kind of a sense of experiencing it, like the people who actually were there, you know, when this person was buried. Um, so yeah, that long, long answer, but that the Ladby ship is really super cool, super interesting. Yeah, I, I, while you were explaining all that, I pulled up pictures to see to see what what you were talking about because I've not I've not seen it before. And the the display just to describe it to our listeners, it does have so it's a ship, and then there's a gentleman who's on a, it. Looks like a four post bed almost that they have him on. Yeah, uh, and then there's just this this mass of of dead animals on the other side of the ship, and they're yeah. kind of they're displayed haphazardly. I'm sure there's a lot of intention. You know, they looked at how how they found the the current ship and then display the animals but it is it's it's curious to me that that someone would want to kill their animals and you know throw them in a ship that's that's a a lot of value right like animal husbandry was really expensive at the time right so this was a tremendous financial commitment to bury this person so it it speaks to to his importance but also i i just always find it fascinating why like why why commit that why you know i i sometimes and this is just a, a a complete aside but i look at my dad my dad is known as like the stingiest man on earth right like i mean he's so cheap it's not <laughs> even funny and i remember when i was in high school and we were having some kind of conversation at the dinner table with my grandparents in france and my dad said something about not wanting to spend money yada yada i don't remember exactly what it was but my my grandmother my grandmother leaned in and said, Bajon Michel, you, you can't take money with you when you're dead. And I remember hearing that and thinking, yeah, that's so true. You can't take your money with you when you're dead. But the Vikings actually thought they could. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. I think now I'm like, oh, well, I guess my dad is just a Viking, right? Like he's, <laughs> he's going to take his cash. He doesn't invest in anything. He keeps it cash. Yeah, right? that's the strangest right. thing. I'm like, you realize it's losing value, like as right. we speak. And he's like, but they must keep my cash. You know, he's that cheap where he's afraid to like bring it out of a bit. Well, I guess in France, he's got some good CDs where he's getting a good return. But yeah. he's but yeah. he's so cheap. I just when he passes away, I wouldn't be surprised if he managed to take, you know, try and be buried with some of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and as you know, right, I mean, that's kind of some of the stuff a little bit that that changes when Christianity comes into the Viking world, because the, the pagan system, you know, they definitely and this is you know, not unusual for a lot of our audience who will probably know things like maybe even a little bit about the Egyptians or but cross culturally for a lot of human history. People, you know, did have belief in afterlives where they did think that it was going to be roughly similar, maybe just a little bit nicer. Uh, than here, and, and you, you needed your stuff. There's also um, a lot of, uh, uh, I don't want to say folklore, that's not the right word, but just kind of um, this concept uh, specifically tied to the horse. And this is also something that's not unique to uh, Viking Age Scandinavians, that the horse is somehow 
part of the journey to the afterlife. So it's, it, it's of course, yeah, a sign of wealth and stuff like you, you said, but it's also um, a mode of transportation, both in this life and the next, but also as, as a, you know, sort of a, a bridge between the two. So, um, you know, it's, it's symbolic uh, as well, but, you know, I always feel so bad for those animals. <laughs> it's the like, symbolism. Yeah. Well, they were going to be slaughtered for some reason. Right. So it's, it's yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah. And also I'll, I have, you know, obviously I took some pictures too, so I can uh, throw some of that up in the, the show notes for this episode. So people can at least take a glance at it. The other thing, in addition to the ship that they did have there in that small museum also, uh, which they didn't have like, in you know in real time you know there was no burial chamber or whatever to walk into but like the chamber graves uh that we know of and some people will know you know the famous you know quote unquote burka warrior the female warrior this person who's buried in 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 like a little a box that's kind of like a little chamber slash well, not I won't I won't say room, but it was pretty big. And I'll I'll post up this picture too, and you might be able to see it on the website. But it's like you know, it's just a big a big square that's probably I don't know maybe five by five or something like that. And and then it's but it's deep. It's probably a couple feet deep. Uh, and then there's a person who's laid out in it on their side, and you know then has you know grave goods also strewn about and I was like all right this is kind of cool too just a, a good way to really visualize what what that type of chamber grave would have would have looked like so yeah yeah it was it was cool that's wild I my last thought on this and then we'll we'll move on to the next amazing thing you saw in Denmark but my last yeah. thought is when I whenever I see a grave like this and I think what does this tell us about the culture that we are dealing with when when certain individuals individuals are given such tremendous resources for burial kind of like the pharaohs and what does that say you know today scandinavia i would say is a collective society they all understand they're part of the society together you know and and so they're uh well the in the united states is a bad word but in europe it's actually a good word they're socialists right and so they right. Just, you know, be friends with your neighbor, help your neighbor, that sort of thing. That's actually a Christian ideal that came in. I, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, was it practiced? Well, I'm not saying it was, I'm just saying the, some of the fundamental underpinnings are like, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, don't, don't be, don't be selfish. Don't be self-centered. Right. Right? The, right. right. And here the Vikings, you know, this is, this is a, a, to me, it's, it's indicative of a culture that is, is individualistic to the extreme. Yeah. to where even in death right we, we all could we all hear about those stories about you know so-and-so's father was just a total jerk to to his kids his whole life and then when he died he gave all of his wealth away to like his cat right <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. i mean this is kind of a the viking version of that right like there's all my wealth yeah. and when i die you're going to put it in the ship you don't get any you have to go get your own <laughs> right? yeah although i mean contrary to that like play devil's advocate a little bit i mean we definitely know i mean sources are are pretty clear that this is a, a highly kin kin and family oriented you know culture i mean much more so than than modern say western people i mean i think we we beat them on the individualism uh, score but i mean also though i mean like okay i'm gonna take it with me you so you can't have it but then we know like so many of these places were looted you know like almost right they they came in later and they're like we're gonna take oh. it anyway because you're dead right right, <laughs> right and then have you ever seen like some of those images of where they actually desecrate you know like the sword or whatever right like they bend it into a curly mm -hmm. cue or they break it or something like that and it's sort of like 
you know, we're, we're like decommissioning, you know, the fallen soldier here. And so it's part of memorializing this person, but you halfway wonder, it's like, no, I'm going to just ruin this thing so that anybody after me can't use it. Right. Yeah. Well, and that, yeah, the, the flip side of that is it's also evidence of perhaps it's, it's not the person being buried that has asked for these things, Correct. but is they're being buried in this manner by their kin as a sign of respect. Like they did something tremendous where you know and so then really these are the heroes that are being buried and and when we look at how many burials are actually i i think this one i was briefly reading that it's the only one that was found in denmark which i i think is interesting because when you think about burials and there are a lot i mean hundreds yeah of, of ship burials that have been found since the 19th century and only one in denmark is what they said so this is the you know gladby is it i think most of them maybe, are norway and sweden well yeah so an actual ship burial um yeah i think that's true i mean especially one that's like this where it's still you know in situ right i mean you can right. actually go in it um because there are other burial mounds and you know mounds that you know had had burials in them and and right. those have been you know those chambers that were in those mounds and stuff but um yeah they're but, saying specifically ship burial right yeah so yeah yeah, well, it, which is fascinating because there, here in Denmark, you have one ship burial, lots of burial mounds, but one right. ship burial. When you right. go to Western France, for example, the island of Gua has a ship burial. There's France is on equal footing with Denmark. That's wild, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. England has a couple, and you know. They... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's like that's how you know those places aren't that far apart from each other, right? And you know, it's just. I think it speaks to just how widely trafficked and I, I mean, traveled, not as in trafficking, like human trafficking, but you know what I mean? It's just like, I mean, they did do that. <laughs> yeah. They, yes, they did do that. Yeah. But that, that place had to be just, you know, busy. It, and I have to say too, yeah. this is another thing that was very interesting to me being there um, because I'm always on about with my students about, you know, a sense of place, you know, place matters. Geography definitely matters in, you know, how cultures develop and what kind of people they become. And uh, I even wrote a post about this on my own personal Substack that, that some people may have seen, but it's like Denmark is a watery place, you know, because it's all these little islands and everything. It's, it was interesting to just get a sense of that. And we took a ferry from one of the islands to, uh, the island uh, Zealand, where Copenhagen is, over to um, to Jutland, to the northern part of Jutland, and it took about an hour and a half on this ferry. But we're going across, across like you know, with the Baltic slash the Catacat, you know, sea. And, you know, you're just sort of out there in that water and kind of looking around, you know, and seeing how far the horizon is away or not and how, you know, um, wild the water is, you know, is it choppy? Is it calm? Whatever. And, and just to kind of get a sense of like, okay, these people, this is the water, the literal water, you know, that these people would have been sailing around in. And, okay, how easy is it to get from place to, you know, point A to point B? And, you know, how how easy would it have been for them to pull right up and attack this place or that place or whatever? I mean, you do really start to feel it when you're when you're there hmm. so that brings up the the next thing which is what was the i i'm hoping you say the here at spring boat but that might be number three but yeah. number two <laughs> most amazing thing you yeah. saw in denmark yeah i mean the here at spring boat was kind of cool because it was like unexpected <laughs> i don't know that i had really paid quite frankly like that much attention to where it actually is where it actually lives right so I, I just kind of really come around the corner in the national museum in copenhagen and i'm like oh 
my God, that boat is here. Okay, CJ, this one's for you. Like taking, <laughs> taking pictures and stuff. Unfortunately, in some of those exhibits, um, you know, because of the nature of needing to keep lighting low in order to not, you know, because light ruins things, right? Um, it's like really dark in there. And so sometimes it's a little bit difficult even to get a good look at things. But I mean, they had shields and, you know, everything from from that. And so that was that was really cool. I mean, it is one of the interesting things in several of the museums that the Danes do is they don't just, I mean, they definitely love their Viking history for sure, but they also have really good um, museums and um, exhibits that highlight even earlier, you know, going back even into the Stone Age, but for sure, you know, the Bronze Age and then moving into the Iron Age and, and all of that. So um, that was cool to see some of the older uh, history. But And for uh, our listeners who don't know, the Hjortspring boat is a pre-Roman Iron Age boat that was uncovered in Denmark, uh, dated to about, it's about two, a little over 2,500 years old, I believe. Yeah. So it's and it's considered the predecessor of the Viking longship. Basically, it's a it was a it was it's long like a longship, but it didn't have a keel, didn't have a sail. So it was a paddle boat. So they used paddles right. to to move around. And the the idea is it was used to move around in that water that you were talking about, Terry, yeah. because in that area it's island to island to island, and that's where they started with that that design essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was cool and. The I highly recommend the National Museum in Copenhagen because they have a great uh, Viking exhibit there that also has, you know, so one of the ships from Roskilde, which was another cool place that I went to that was ship related uh, that's outside of um, Copenhagen. But um, we, but just all of these little artifacts, I have to say, and then, you know, like people will notice on the um the video for our episode that we just did with Ben Raphael. And I have the little tiny figurine uh, that's, you know, kind of a little golden, like looks like a little shield maiden kind of person. Um, but, you know, I'd seen that on the cover of his book. I'd seen it in other books, you know, and a lot of these images, I actually show, you know, slides to my students, you know, and I've been doing it for years, but I've never seen these things in person. And then to get to those museum cases and look at those things. And like in particular, that little figurine, that little Valkyrie on, on Ben's book is like 1.3 inches tall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's like this thing that you just get no context about at all, right? Looking in these various, you know, online or, or on these book covers and stuff. And then you stand there in front of it and it's like this big. <laughs> like, yeah, I had a similar experience when I saw the traveling Swedish National Museum display and they had some of the figurines for necklaces, pendants and so forth. And some of them, you know, they have the picture you know, promoting the display. They have pictures of these things that are you know, eight feet by eight feet or whatever. And then you get up into the display and it's like this big, you know, yeah. and you're like, oh, that's tiny. And then the little yeah. Odin with, you know, I, yeah. there's that little Odin with his little, anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, it's so, but you expect something sizable, right? Right, but, right. Oh, I mean, these, they, people had to carry these things in their pockets, right? Because right. they were- And then I'm thinking of like the, um, 
the practicality of how good those people's eyeballs must have been who were the metal workers at the time because there's there's a lot of these tiny little things you know and mm-hmm. to think about you know in in days and centuries way before you know eyeglasses were made like <laughs> like working and making these tiny little you know a, a one inch replica of uh, you know a person complete with you know decorated shield and sword and and everything else so you know it's pretty interesting to see a lot of that stuff. Um, but uh, I mean, I have to say probably the second uh, most sort of interesting or favorite thing for me was going to uh, Yelling, which, you know, to see Harold Bluetooth's, uh, the Yelling Runestone and the two giant burial mounds there. Um, you know, it was a, a, a really important place in a seat of royal power, even prior to Harold Bluetooth, which, you know, some people will know about Bluetooth. And I actually wrote a post about him on uh, my Substack, but he's a, a, a Danish king who lived in the late 10th century, so the late 900s. And um, he was a pretty powerful guy, although, you know, on some level his um, his reign was problematic and he he probably ended up getting killed by his own son, which, you know, that's not unusual in the Middle Ages uh, in, in contesting for power, but still, um, you know, it was just kind of, interesting to see power on that scale, you know, writ large. Uh, I wanted to see the runestone. It's a pretty big runestone. Um, and it's, it's, it's Harold, what they call Denmark's birth certificate. Um, and some of our audience will know this, but I mean, on there is a runic inscription that talks about, you know, this stone, like many runestones, this was raised in memory of King Gorm and, you know, Thura, his wife, which is Harold Bluetooth's parents. And so Harold is memorializing them, but then it also says, you know, this was raised by Harold, you know, in honor of these parents, but then it says that Harold who won for himself all of Norway and made the Danes Christian, you know, kind of thing. And so it's this, you know, really sort of first or one of the first mentions of like Denmark as a polity, uh, but also of um, Harold as kind of a unifier of you know these various parts of Scandinavia so that it's expressing you know what he had power over ostensibly but also then again the Christian part as well um that you know he had some responsibility for becoming baptized and then bringing Christianity to Denmark now whether or not all of that is true uh we don't exactly know but you know so these are these firsts for Denmark um and I think it's cool and interesting too that because of that even still to this day so the picture of um the runestone and then one of the little uh figures on part of the runestone are included in the Danish passport um, but the stone has not only the inscription, but it's a, a picture of a, a gripping beast, which is a, a common motif in, um, you know, Viking Age art style. And it's got a serpent around it. And then there's a on because it's kind of this weird shaped rock so that they could carve it on three sides. And it's got a pretty big image of Jesus, like a, like a crucified Christ on one of the sides. But it's also, you know, he's like intertwined with all of this kind of, you know, sort of interlace design. Again, that's pretty common for for that period of time. But it's the earliest known depiction of Jesus in Scandinavia is this picture on this rock so um but then it's like it's it's that and then right next to it is another runestone that uh, harold bluetooth's father king gorm raised in memory of his wife 
Um, and so it's got language on there specific, you know, to her and it calls her out as like, um, I've seen it interpreted a few different ways. It's like either uh, Denmark's ornament or Denmark's adornment or the pride of Denmark. So, I mean, clearly he, you know, thought highly of her. Uh, but these two stones are situated then in between two giant burial mounds. And um, and then a part that I actually didn't know until I got there, so you can go on top of these burial mounds, and, and they're pretty high. I think they were like 11 meters, or is that like 30 feet or something? Um, and you, it's part of an entire sort of royal complex, and the whole thing is on, situated on a giant ship setting. So there was, there's a ship that would be, you know, you know, like a stone ship setting that we've seen in a few other places, um, which reminds me of Lindholm. So I'll get to that in a second, because that was the other cool place. But, but this idea of the, you know, the ships being, or sorry, the stones being set out, right, in the shape of a ship right. is a yeah. some, somewhat common motif, and it even predates the Viking Age. Well, this is a giant one. This was like, you know, 300 feet across midships and like 1200 feet long or something, you know, it's the longest one in existence. And the, the one of the mounds sits like exactly in the center of this ship. Uh, and so everything is, you know, built uh, in a way that's, you know, pretty calculated, quite frankly. Um, and, you know, and Harold pulled this off, you know, did a, a lot of this. And so it was you know, definitely seen as kind of a, an expression of power uh, for him. Uh, that mound that's in the middle of the ship was excavated and there was um, a burial chamber found in there. Again, the bodies uh, removed um, even back at the time. There wasn't a burial chamber found in the second mound. So they call them the North Mound and the South Mound. So the North Mound is in the center of the ship. And then the South Mound was built um, during, well, during Harold's time, the entire mound was built uh, and maybe it was intended to have been for, you know, his parents, uh, maybe one for the father, one for the mother. We don't know, although the North Mound does appear to have been a double burial. So maybe the parents were buried there. Um, and it is in a mound that actually predates Harold's time. It was smaller, but it was enlarged uh, by Harold during the late 10th century. Um, so anyway, yeah, it, it was just such an interesting way to see all these expressions of royal power, but to see these common motifs, right? The ship uh, and the ship as a, ha having a role in not only life, but death uh, and stuff um, as well. So yeah, very cool. But, and uh, for historical context, what what time period are we looking at specifically within the Viking Age? Since it was such a long, you know, three centuries long, Harold Bluetooth comes around. Like so late, yeah, late 10th century. So he's king um roughly like 958 to 987 um and they've done the you know the the carbon type of dating and and such that they're able to do where um th this place was also it had some long houses as part of this larger complex and then also uh posts you know that were part of a perimeter and they've done some dating of the wood and basically a lot of this construction if memory serves is dating to like 968 so um you know right around that period of time and he's considered to be the foundational figure for denmark as a country as we know it today or at least the kingdom of denmark in the middle of the middle ages which then would become 
yeah market today yeah. yeah yeah exactly i mean and it's interesting you know how much that is um just present and prevalent there um you know even my husband was like does it seem like every exhibit we go to like Harold Bluetooth is just sort of looming large and it's like, yeah, it actually kind of does. And so that's what prompted me to, to write a separate post just about him because it's like, you know, whether it's true or not, you know, th this, they seem to have embraced this guy kind of as, you know, their first, um, which I mean, we know it's not true. And even the part about bringing Christianity to Denmark, I mean, we also know from written sources that it was, it was seeping in even earlier than that. But again, um, looking at the whole place as just kind of an expression of power, and how these men sort of sought to make their mark and put their stamp on places and times, you know, he's just like, I'm calling it for myself, right? I'm right. the hero. He, he came in, yeah, he came in toward the end. Yeah. of the christianization or not the end but like well well into it yeah and then granted a couple of of christian clerics rights to build churches in denmark and then was like yeah. see look i did yeah. it <laughs> yeah yeah well and actually yeah you're right i mean the the, the church the, that that is something that's also there so right in between these two giant burial mounds where the two rune stones are Harold erected a church right right there and you can still go into it and one of the parts of the lore as well and this is an interesting i think part of the story of this you know transition period from you know being pagan to being christian is that the whole place is clearly it's a pagan burial site you know there's the giant ship there's these two mounds you know one of which we now had a a burial chamber in it uh, and yet there's this church plunked down into the middle of it. And there are bones in this, you know, kind of very central part of uh, the church, uh, like buried underneath uh, it. And they, uh, they, they've done enough testing on the bones to know that they were the bones of an older man. And, you know, so we don't have any way of knowing for sure, but historians speculate or archaeologists speculate that, you know, the body that was removed from the burial mound of King Gorm, who was a staunch pagan and was not interested in Christianity at all. But then once Harold sort of, you know, sees the light and takes Jesus into his heart, uh, whether it was, you know, sincere or not, who knows, but uh, that he takes his parents out of the mound and then he buried him underneath the floor of the church. Um, so, you know, it, it is this real kind of interesting mix of the two uh, periods of time. It's fascinating. Yeah. And it is, it is. So uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, it is the same Bluetooth that your Bluetooth on your phone is named after. And as a Danish company came up with that, I believe, uh, or somebody with some kind of Danish attachment and decided to call it Bluetooth after Harold Bluetooth. So it's, there is a, there is a connection there. I, I don't know the details of it, but I just remember hearing it a while ago. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. It's, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's I, think, it. I think it was a Scandinavian person. Actually. Yeah. I read, I read up a little bit about it because I knew about it from before, but when I was making my post about Harold, I, I read up to be sure, but I think it was a Scandinavian engineer. He was working for Intel and when they were developing this, I think what, like in the mid nineties, um, Bluetooth was just kind of a placeholder name for this new technology, this wireless technology that they were coming up with. And they were going to try to think up something else. And they did think up a few other things, but then they like beta tested them and, you know, somebody else already had that name or whatever, you know? And so then finally they went back to Bluetooth, but the reason was because of what says on the runestone about, you know, him becoming King of, of Norway and, and Denmark and, and, 
making the Danes Christian and this idea of him being a unifier and bringing these parts of Scandinavia together under one reign uh, in the same way that the creators of uh, Bluetooth technology, you know, say that their right. technology, you know, unites various forms of of technology together. But um, Harold's, you know, there were a couple of other things that I saw that were Harold's, you know, his doing as well. And these are the um, ring fortresses that are there that survive. And I think there's like five or six of them. I only went to two of them. Cause again, and then that was one of those, like we're driving back to Copenhagen and my husband's like, Oh, one of the ring fortresses is over there. Do you want to go to it? And I'm like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I, think, like, I think once I've seen, you know, a, a berm of earth in a circle, <laughs> uh, I'm pretty good. So, but that was also kind of cool to see, um, you know, he, what he was doing as far as these fortifications and the the hypotheses of, around why, because we don't exactly know why, um, but, you know, some of the pressure from the people in, you know, the part of the world that you specialize in, but also the Ottonian, um, you know, empire um, that, you know, these things seem to be in pretty strategic places where, you know, maybe he's trying to fend off, uh, you know, either in, intra-Scandinavian attacks uh, and or uh, attacks from, from the, the people on the continent uh, again. But they're, they're also pretty interestingly constructed. I mean, they've, they're, they're, there's these giant berms that are, you know, these earthen, you know, circles that then within the circle, they built longhouses and stuff. So in the couple that I went to, they also had stones laid out and because they know where the, the houses were. And so then they've laid that so people can get a sense of that. But they, uh, the height of those things were probably somewhere around 15 to 20 feet. So the, these are earthen, you know, mounds that are pretty tall uh, as fortifications. I mean, keep in mind, you know, this is prior to like the Norman invasion when all of a sudden everything became stone fortification. And and so they're using the earth to protect these, you know, what, what effectively were these small communities slash military encampments uh, that like that Ben uh, mentioned in our, our podcast. Um, and they are perf these like perfect circles. I mean, and they're pretty huge. And then there's four entrances into them, but each of the entrances are on, on the cardinal points of the compass. Uh, so they're very, you know, well planned and thought out and, and stuff. And so that, that part was kind of, um, cool to see. And then in both places that I went to, so we went to Trelleborg, uh, and then Fearcat, and they have, uh, recreations of long, the long houses that were there. And so, um, that's also, you know, kind of some modern interpreting a little bit going on, but at least, you know, the ability to walk in and around, uh, one of these structures to just get a feel for how big they were and, and, and all of that. But one of the cool things that I, I showed you this, but all the, my little, uh, this is comes from Fearcat, uh, one of the fortresses. And so they had their little museum with, you know, reenactors there, you know, sort of living Viking stuff going on. And so they had a real forge, uh, that was, you know, they were making things and stuff, but I, I bought this little knife um, and, you know, you can kind of see it's kind of got a cool, very sort of elegant little decorative handle to it. Um, it's a sharp little knife uh, and it's only like four and a half inches, you know, from end to end. Ow, that's even very sharp, the point. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I just imagine this being, you know, something that would be commonly uh, used by um, women, you know, for household 
types of things, like well, a little pair. A loop on it, so it could be put on a belt or on a keychain or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And since we know that we haven't found any of their clothing that has pockets, <laughs> we know that they did hang things on things like that, like belts and stuff. And so, um, this is, uh, yeah, I think it's just kind of as a recreation, a cool little way to sort of hold a little bit of Viking in my hand. <laughs> Yeah, for all the things that the Vikings did manage to innovate, Pockets was not one of them. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was actually listening to a podcast where somebody was recounting the story of um, uh, Freydis, Eric's daughter, and this, you know, the saga account of her, you know, being, you know, encountering um, natives in what is now Canada, right? And this is a very famous story where she, like, rips open her shirt and bares her breasts and she's very pregnant and she's like beating a sword against her breast you know it scares off these native americans um and they said and she unbuttoned her shirt and i'm like i don't think there was buttons <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like, no <laughs> <laughs> so anyway at best a little bit of lace or something but no it would have just been <laughs> yeah yeah rip. just rip it yeah exactly yeah so uh, there's a there's a display of that too that's pretty uh, pretty shocking where the, uh, I don't know where, what museum is that at where they have the wax figures? Yeah. They show her with the, you know, and the sword and the, they have the whole scene painted out and then they made her look really just, you know, frightening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, I, if I, I was like, I was like, yeah, if I had been one of the native Americans, I wouldn't have stuck around too long either. Like that would have been a shocking sight. Like, you know what? We're, we're just going to leave these yeah. people alone. Like they yeah. can stay here on the coast. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. going to go back in the forest. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was a killer. That was for sure. I mean, literally, I mean, other yeah. sagas talk about her like slaughtering a bunch of people. So, um, but yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And so the next thing that you had on there after Bluetooth was. Um, I think you know, kind of cool bucket list thing as well, uh, which I think is funny because a couple of our previous guests who are, you know, major scholars in the field have not been to this place. Uh, and I mean, they're both friends of mine. So I was, you know, texting them about it when I was there and they admitted not having been there yet, but it's called Lindholm Huya. And it is in the Northern part of Jutland. So um, we had to drive, I don't know what, about an hour North of Aarhus, which is the, the the major city that's up there, uh, but it's it's like it's a burial site, and it even predates the Viking Age. But there's a lot of it that's also there that has been dated to the Viking Age as well. And it's just this big field of stone ship settings. And so again, like I was just mentioning at, at the Yelling site, you know, the, the idea that they would make these monuments where they take stones and place them in the shape of a ship. Uh, and sometimes it's just, um, you know, it can be something as simple as like a, a territorial boundary marker or something, but related to burial, oftentimes there are people actually buried in the ground, uh, you know, kind of midships. And so they know that there are uh, many of those in this place. And um, you get to this museum and then you walk through this grove of trees outside the museum and you can see this kind of this again, this kind of grass, grassy berm, this little hill. And then you come crest up over this hill and it just opens up into this field of just all of these ship settings. And there's I think they're counted. There's like 700 of them. And wow. it's. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, again, talk about kind of, 
Well, well, the walk through the grove of trees was interesting because we know that, you know, for the Norse, the pre-Christian Norse, I mean, um, you know, groves of trees were special spiritual places and a, a lot of ritual events and stuff happened in groves of trees. Um, and so to kind of go through that sort of a space and then have it open up and in, into like where you're really kind of now walking into the realm of the dead um was uh was really special and it's just it's just quiet up there you know there's some sheep <laughs> walking around you know because it's out in there's the always sheep yeah exactly <laughs> well you know i had i had to do my duty and get sheep into this episode somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there they are you know they're just you know watching all the tourists walk around but um you know luckily people are being very respectful and quiet and just you know taking photos and stuff but just to see all of these hundreds of of these ships uh, settings just there. Um, and then some of them actually are not in the shape of a ship. Some of them are just circular and um, they've done enough excavating there over the years. Um, Cause this goes back uh, a little ways as far as their knowledge of the place um, that uh, it's, it's largely women or children that were uh, buried in the, the little circular ones and then males that were buried in the ship ones so you can't help but sort of you know put the viking thing together there so basically a, a graveyard but instead of headstones it's uh you know stone ship arrangements yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah i mean if you want to google it so it's lindholm is l-i-n-d-h-o-l-m-e and then the second word huya is uh h-o-j-e and if you spell it properly, the O is one of those O's with the the strike through it, the the Norwegian or the D Danish O. But uh, you'll see it. I mean, it looks like it's just a bunch of rando, you know, stones in a field until you kind of take a closer look, and then you realize, like, oh no, that's a specific shape. That's a specific shape. That's a specific shape. So, yeah, some uh, of them are more obvious than others, but they're. I'm going through images yeah. here on on Google and. Yeah. yeah. Some some of them are real obvious ships, and then there's a hodgepodge of other things. There's one with there's a triangle in there. Somebody decided that they were yep. going to be right. different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of those, and you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting, and I I um I noticed this not only with that place, but um, also even with Yelling as a major uh, site that it was back in its day and the Fear Cat and the Trelleborg fortresses. I mean, most of these places you're like, okay, you know, Denmark is like, gosh, 98% just like rolling hills farmland. And you know, you're, you're driving and then you're like, okay, we got to go off onto this little country lane, you know, and go way out over here to get to this place. And you're like, man, this is so, all these places just feel so off the beaten path. And then, you know, there's like a certain moment when I'm like, okay, wait, there's water right there. There's water right there. You know what? So it's like for us, you know, off the beaten path, like off the, the major highway kind of thing. But it you know, really brought to mind also just, you know, the differences in modes of transportation and what would have been the beaten path back then, right, versus mm -hmm. what we have now, you know, that would have made it like, no, that was a major site and it was there for a reason, mostly so they could pull boats right up, you know, to be fairly close. Um, but, uh, you know, nowadays you kind of go to them and you're like, man, this is in the middle of nowhere. Why did they build this here? You know? And for them, it was like right on the I-5, right? That's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. 
Yeah, I highly recommend it. If anyone's interested in in Viking history, I think, you know, it's definitely a a cool place that has a a lot of things to see. Um, I did see lots of stone ship settings in various places, for sure, Um, and uh, stuff related to death. Um, but like Ben was saying, you know, in, in our podcast, like, you're not convinced, he's not convinced, like everybody got a burial. Right. And so then when we look at these kinds of places, what are we really looking at? You know, largely maybe just kind of a, a certain swath of the population. Um, I mean, even at Lindholm Huja, even though there's so many of those uh, settings there, hundreds of them, but that was taking place, you know, it's essentially a cemetery, right. And that was taking place over, a long period of time um so uh, yeah ben it, mentioned that it's unclear what what portion of the population ended up with a burial versus cremation we know that cremation was widely used and and was much more widely used than burial and and right. part of that is i've seen the burial urns from that are on display at least at the swedish national museum that i've seen yeah. and i'm sure they have them in, in denmark and and so forth so burial urns were a common commonly found thing in these sites so it's how many people were being cremated versus how many people were being buried it you know it's unclear but it's definitely there's there's something you had to do something or be someone special to get a a burial versus versus cremation right i wonder how that translates in the in their thoughts on the afterlife right like if there's one person who says i'm going to be buried with my ship and i'm going to take it to the afterlife and i'm going to put all these animals in the ship with me and i'm going to put all the these goods and wealth etc and then that that will give me all everything i need in the next life yeah so what happens to the guy who you know he he did well he died in battle he's going to valhalla but they cremate him right like does he just you know what i wonder what the the leap there was or what kind of cognitive dissonance they're using to like, you know, make themselves feel all right about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, keep in mind too, though. I mean, a lot of the cremation burials though, um, or, you know, what we would call a, a, a burial as in like, you know, we're more familiar with like inhumation, right? Like, well, we take the body and we bury it in this thing, you know, in a box or, you know, a hole or whatever. Um, but the, the key to like the Viking Age cremations is they were cremating and then burying those remains right. in these things. So even though it might be a ship or a ship setting or something like that, it doesn't necessarily always translate it, that, you know, okay, there's a, a fully intact body there. It's, it's, it, it's somebody who would have been cremated and their things burned with them sometimes as well. And then those things buried. So there's kind of a mix uh, of those, you know, methodologies. Yeah. 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 I think it's worth steering clear of that subject before getting too deep in the in the weeds because i just don't know i don't have enough of an understanding or or enough knowledge of the mythological piece of it or even even you know i've read all the sagas and everything but it's just good there's nothing coming to mind that says this is what they believed and how that there there are experts for that and we'll have them on the show yeah 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 exactly <laughs> i mean because you're right i mean it's it's kind of one of those i don't want to say gray area i mean we know that there there were limited numbers of ways that they you know for you know lack of a better term i mean disposed of of the dead you know or dealt with the dead in as far as like burying them or cremating them first and then burying them or just cremating them and scattering things or whatever um but there's a vast amount of um of difference in what what is found in the burial record there is you know there was at least prior to the christian period and even a little bit then too but but definitely prior 
it's like, you know, you open up a, a grave as an archaeologist and it's it's, it's not going to be apparent that there was sort of a standard way, <clears throat> excuse me, of doing this, you know, for them. So, I mean, right. you're right in your, um, your, your feeling about that. It's like, we, we don't know. I think it speaks a little bit to what Ben was saying in our previous episode of how these mobile societies, essentially uh, groups that were moving and then they would ally with each other for a specific purpose. And then the next raiding season, they would split apart and go in three different directions. Right. And so we have, this is not one united group of people. It is a conglomeration of small groups of people operating independently. And from a faith standpoint, and going back to what Ben was saying too, where the role of the warrior chieftain, the head, you know, the head of the community, you know, who were the warriors, what made a warrior, you know, that's what his research is trying to uncover. Right. And he did, he did uh, mention the fact that there is a spiritual attachment to that role as well. They are the religious leader of the community and so forth. And so there would have been differences in how they practiced their faith yeah. from all over. And so then we see that echoed in the burial practices where there's just no consistency because everybody had a slightly different idea. And of yeah. course, we're talking about a, a wide geographic area over a long period of time where yeah. differences are inherent to just the evolution of society in general. So I said, there's a lot to unpack there, which I don't think we're gonna have time to, yeah, to dive no. in today. But no, but it yeah. is, it's funny, I guess the wheels turning, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. I would say one la final thought, though, like, because of what you said about you know, their thoughts on, on cremation or the, you know, the, the very famous Ibn Fadlan account, you know, where he writes about a quote from some Rus, you know, Scandinavian person about like, why do you, why do you cremate them? And supposedly the Rus person's, you know, saying, well, why do you bury them in the ground? Because then they just rot and the worms eat them and everything where we, we basically, we torch them. And for us, what that means is in an instant, they are in paradise, right? They don't have to mm -hmm. wait until their body decomposes and gets eaten by bugs and worms. So who knows? Different beliefs. Yeah. I mean, even Fadlan, that's rife with issues, that testimony. But, you know, we yeah. we can unpack that in a different show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and although it's like we sort of have to take it a little bit for what it is, because it's at least it's something that we have. You know? Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. do have it. It is it is interesting because we don't really know who he met on the on the Volga Dnieper rivers. But, you know, well. yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. And then Michael Crichton took it and ran with it and created a Beowulf reboot with, you know, cavemen. And that was fun. The 13th warrior. So uh, just, oh, yeah. this is a, this is a, a what a, a guilty pleasure, I think is yeah. what we say in English, right? With the 13th warrior. So historically just total buffoonery, right? Just total right. nonsense, malarkey. Same thing with the eaters of the dead, the book. It's just, it's a Michael Crichton book, you know, yeah. it's, it's, and so it gets, it gets panned a lot by people who are say, you know, interested in the topic and, you know, reenactors and so forth. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's just fun. <laughs> I just love it. It's so, and then like the way that they over masculinize like the yeah. characters, you know, they yeah. make them like, you know, yeah. and, and it's funny because it's really a reflection of like what we today would consider to be like macho, macho man, you know, because yeah. back then that's not, we, we have no idea, you know, <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Well, right. and then the idea that Vladimir Kulich was, was, uh, who's the main character who plays the, 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 uh, leader of the of the bunch is clean shaven the whole time, which is like, yeah, I, that's <laughs> yeah. just not going to happen. Yeah, you know, he has the long hair, yeah. clean shaved face. I'm just like, oh man, that's he looks good. He looked yeah. really good. Well, 
you know it's a movie and then yeah. antonio banderas playing arab that's just hilarious right. in and of right. itself right yeah <laughs> well you know that was what 20 years ago he was kind of a it thing there for a while i think so yeah yeah. I, part of my affinity for that movie might be that that movie came out, I think, when I was in seventh grade and I just loved it. Right. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. it's just my child, my, my inner child latches on to that thing. But with full recognition that it, it really has nothing to do with anything we talk about in this show. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to go for Crichton. And uh, now we're like, yeah, off the Denmark topic here, but Crichton's book Timeline. Uh, which is like time travel to 14th century yeah. France. I, I like that book mm -hmm. actually. So anyway, yeah, the movie go. was the movie was all right too. I think it had uh, uh what's the Scottish guy who also played in 300? Oh, I'm spacing on his name. Oh yeah, yeah I know yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, right, Gerard yeah. Butler. Gerard Butler, yeah, it had yeah, him yeah. in there and it had a fun little twist at the end. It was kind of nice. I mean, it was it was it was silly. It was yeah. kind of. But it's a Michael Crichton book. Michael, I I admire Michael Crichton. I mean, the ideas he comes up with are just they're. I think he's dead now, isn't he? Is he dead? I think he's dead. Oh, that's a great question. That's a good I mean, question. that's. Oh boy. We can go to the Almighty Google, right, and just say, "Is Michael?" To be clear Crichton. for our audience, Michael Crichton was not Danish. <laughs> Did not live in Denmark. <laughs> Since we're on Denmark topic. Oh, he did. He passed away in 2008. How did yeah. I not know that? Oh, That's like wow. 15 years ago, man. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he was buried or cremated. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. So, I mean, Denmark is a cool place to go. I have to say yeah. Denmark is very chill. I very much enjoyed it. I would I would go back there. Um, there were some people who cautioned me um even danes uh that i know who you know it, it may be a little bit too staid on on the verge of being a little bit boring i didn't find it to be that way i could see how people could see it but i didn't find it to be that way you know there was plenty of viking history to keep me interested but um there was just also you know cool places to be and you know from an american living on the west coast where and I think we've said this before. I mean, unless you're Native American, we don't have that long of a history in this country. And we certainly don't have, you know, castles to walk around and look at or, um, you know, other other types of artifacts and things like you see uh, in European history that just are are everywhere and, and kind of part of the fabric of the place. And so for for an American tourist, it's it's a cool thing, and especially one who's a history nerd. Um yeah, and I have it. I have it on my list of places to visit. Oddly enough, I have not yet been to Scandinavia, and it would have been so easy to do so a few years ago. And then, you know, anyway, it's yeah, it is what it is. But with children now, I I have a backup plan. That's good because I want to go and see all these fun things and and everything. But kids are not going to be yeah. really excited to go see history i mean I, I would love for them to be but you know so yeah. what denmark has that really helps me out and so thank you denmark legoland oh. the original <laughs> legoland <laughs> no you know what i actually will say and this is another thing that my husband and i both uh noticed and he commented on um okay and I've, I've posted about this as well i mean the danes are unbelievably amazing uh at design but also integration and so the, the Danish people, I mean, it's just part of the DNA where they understand how to build and how to be in the world. And to me, this really spoke to actually things that I talk about in our podcast with Matthias Nordvig, you know, with the, like the pre-Christian uh, part of Scandinavian history. 
you know, their, their cosmology and their worldview of, you know, how to actually, you know, how humans can coexist with other humans and other beings, animals and whatever, trees, rocks, whatever, the built environment and all of it kind of, you know, working together. And there's a long way of saying families, families are a huge part of it. And I don't think there was a single place that we went even including like museums, um, you know, in urban centers where there wasn't some major part of it that was geared specifically for kids and, and kids to interact with, you know, so whether it was out at one of the fortresses and there's going to be, you know, little Viking ships they can crawl on and wooden swords and shields and, you know, all kinds of stuff to, you know, mess around with in the, in the outdoors or stuff on the inside. Um, you know, these one, one museum had like what they called the kid lab, you know, and the kids are literally in there and fiddling around with all this equipment uh, and doing like data testing, like they're actually archaeologists and stuff and they had like little white lab coats for them to put on you know and 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 everything and so yeah i mean i would say take your kids and go to denmark because they really embrace everybody being able to experience um their their history wonderful so that's the that's the big poster or your big advertisement for Denmark. Bring your kids. It's kid friendly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, and also, the, yeah, the Danes just know how to live. I have to say, yeah. you know, I mentioned in a few times in a couple of my posts that that hygge, <clears throat> you know, that Danish word H-Y-G-G-E, which, you know, we don't have a one to one translation for, but in, in a general sense, it just kind of means content um it, it's palpable there and it's just because of the the nature of how they sort of embrace living yeah so yeah and with that i think we can call it a wrap for today thank yeah. you terry for taking us on a journey through your exploration of viking ground zero yep of course <laughs> of course that's what we do here at vikingology